you've made it. You're a rising star at Warner Music Group. Not to dust your own shoulder, but prior to this, you worked at Bain Capital. And yeah, you don't love your job, but you don't hate it either. If you're like most people, you ride that career out. Maybe one day you'll find your way into something you're a bit more fond of. But if you're Pyle Kadakia, you listen to your gut and the mentors around you. And you ditch that career of yours to pursue something you've been passionate about since you were, oh, I don't know, three years old? Pyle is the founder of ClassPass, the online fitness subscription company. And in the years since our last conversation, Pyle has seen ClassPass become an international success story. But success never comes easy. If you're not making decisions that move you forward each day, then you're one day closer to losing it all. It's high pressure and even higher stakes. For Pyle, that started the day she left Warner Music Group to take a gamble on herself. But it didn't end there. I caught up with Pyle back in September at this year's inbound event in Boston. Pyle tells me how she dealt with a very public customer backlash around pricing, how she builds confidence in her customers, and how she made maybe the toughest decision yet, stepping down as CEO of ClassPass. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. kind of want to begin with you is long before class pass. I kind of feel like your career started when you were three. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and that is because that is where, when I heard you learned to dance. Yeah. So uh, my parents immigrated here in the seventies and, you know, I was born and raised here in America, but uh, my mom's best friend when I was three years old started teaching us how to do these Indian folk dances in uh, my basement or my friend's basements. And that really taught me something around discipline. Mm. I think anytime when you're that young and you learn something and you don't want to get better at it, yeah, it sort of taught me this mechanism of, wow, that looks really hard. Okay, if I go home and practice, oh, wow, I got it. And now I can show up and do it better. Right. And I think that mentality taught me something around, you know, what it, what it means to work hard and have self-discipline. I think every weekend my parents would have an event and, you know, whoever was having a party would be like, compile dance. And I started feeling, uh, you know, the sense of like, oh, do I have my cassette tape? Do I have my outfit? You know, what time am I dancing? Wait, wait, wait. I need you to describe the, the outfit, your favorite outfit. My favorite outfit. Wow. I think it was, it was orange and black. It was like this traditional um, Indian outfit that I had, but it was just always so interesting to me because I basically felt like I had a team since I was younger. And I always say this, like my mom, my dad, my dance teacher were my first team. Mm-hmm. Like they were, okay, Pyle has to dance. Here are all the things we need to do before that moment, you know? And I think it like, it taught me this really beautiful thing around like how people will support you and help you if you, you know, have a passion and want to do something for other people. Yeah. So talk to me about like some of your favorite classes that you've taken over your, you know, the course of your life. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, when I was younger, uh, I, my, you know, I tried like ice skating and I tried softball and I tried a lot of activities per se. I was not very good at softball. Um, I was really not very good at sports, to be honest. I was, yeah. I cheerleaded for 10 years, but that being said, and I think this is actually so important to where class pass came from is to be honest, like, cause I'm a, you know, I'm a small petite person. 
I think I always felt like I couldn't be strong or I wasn't going to ever be really? like the fastest runner or the person who was going to be like the star athlete. Like I never, ever considered myself like a strong or athletic person. And uh, it's, it's actually kind of funny. My whole family kind of makes fun of me because they're like, I love that you built a fitness company when you were the person. I was scared of, you know, I didn't like phys ed. I didn't like gym class because I always felt like I was not strong enough, right? Because I was the small yeah. girl in, in my class. But that being said, I think... Uh, that was actually when I built ClassPass, I thought about that because I think this is such a big part of it is the fear that people have yeah. in going into new classes. And, you know, even when I tell people I'm a dancer, they'll be like, oh my God, I'm scared to go to a dance class, right? But then I'm like, well, I you don't want to look like the worst person in the yeah, class. And, but this isn't everything yeah. we do, you know? And so I think that was such an important feeling for me to have understood in mm-hmm. building ClassPass because I didn't build ClassPass for that 1% of people who was already, you know, really into working out, it was for everyone else that actually had a lot of fear in them or yeah. felt like they didn't belong like I did. And that to me has been such an amazing journey. And even, so, you know, to actually answer your original question, now I love every class. Like I love that I can go into, like I can, you know, fly into London and go to a bar class in the middle of the city, you know, because yeah. I have the confidence to walk in and I've done enough classes anywhere that, I like, and I love that. To me, I feel like a warrior now that I am strong enough to walk into any of those places. And I think that to me was like a personal great journey I went on with my own product. So much of your success depends on building confidence in your users. That's a constant fight and it's a, and it's a fight that you can't really build an algorithm for. You, you have to sort of understand human nature. How do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, um, in our mission statement, it starts with the word motivating, because motivation is the key here. It's not that you're not going to solve that with just giving people access to a bunch of classes. You have to actually give them a reason to go or help them make the decision into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something we think about a lot. It is something with every decision we make from, you know, for changing a button, we go and look at did number of reservations change at all, mm-hmm. you know, because we never want to make a decision that's going to stagnate that part of people's lives, right? Because we want to get people to do more. Obviously, you know, we have to make changes and we want to add more and more things to the product. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with BJ Fogg, but he has this uh, behavioral model Hmm. that says for any behavior in the world to exist, you need three things to happen simultaneously, which are a motivation, an ability, and a trigger. A trigger is like, oh, go book this class from a marketing email. The ability is like hitting book, but the motivation is, you know, playing on something, like whether it's, you know, it's excitement, fear, like all those things to get someone to actually go and do something in their life. Yeah. And so we're always thinking about it. And I think one of the cool things um, about what we've you know been able to do and I think what hopefully we'll continue to be able to do is we own this relationship of time with our customers that many people, like no other app actually books this many hours of someone's life in a given month. Yeah. It's funny. I always think of like Amazon here. Amazon used to be a book you know, store at the end of the day, the largest online uh, book retailer in the world, right? But now look at what they are today. And I think when I think of ClassPass, I think about us being this platform where people book their time to do things they love. It's a huge commitment. Exactly. And so I think having that trust of our customers that they, you know, feel like they're going to um, come to this app and book something. And I mean, a lot of my customers will say like, oh, I feel like I'm a kid in the candy store, um, booking this class, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's amazing. Like we made this feeling of working out, like what we're just talking about, how working out sometimes feels right. like an obligation and a chore. 
we have made it fun. Like people like, you know, it's, and to me that is the coolest thing we could have done. And I think we need to keep doing that for other things too in your life. And that's why the vision of ClassPass goes way beyond just fitness. So I can understand how removing friction in the experience would help. Um, What have you actually built into the product though that you think boosts confidence, boosts motivation? So some of the things, and like we've been seeing this is um, we have, A, we have recommendations, but that's like, like you said, more algorithmic. Mm Um, seeing, uh, we, you can see what your friends are doing. And so like that has actually channeled a lot of, you know, people discovering new studios. Cause you're like, wait, my friend's done that. Maybe I could do it too. Right. So we've seen that. We've also had a lot of like invite a friend and sharing, um, features like that because we've realized the social commitment and construct is a really important relationship to have with, you know, our customers. Yeah. Um, that's been an important thing. And honestly, the model in the way it works with like expiring credits in general, mm-hmm is a little bit of a motivator. Yeah. It's in and of itself where it's not just like, I have this thing. You actually have something that could disappear. Mm-hmm. So it does also motivate people to actually go. All right. So let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. Because your resume is, I mean, people would pay for your early resume, right? You worked at Bain. Yep. You worked at Warner Music Group. And that's a pretty solid start to a career. Those are two big companies that, that people would kill to get into. But it wasn't what you had in mind. So I think it's important I did those things. And a lot of that came from, you know, once again, my parents gave up their entire lives for to build a life for me and my sister here. And so we wanted to make sure we had security. Um, you know, I wanted to make them proud. And so I did a lot of those things, you know, in a way for them, but also I think I didn't know what else I could do. Yeah. And I think that's happens to a lot of people is these sort of storyboards get painted for us and we think that's what our life has to be. And so I wasn't really asking myself any other questions. I, you know, I think I always knew I loved dance, but I didn't know if what else it could be. And I think when you're younger, you're doing activities and when, you know, you're in college, you're still doing it as an activity. And then when I graduated, I didn't think about it that much, aside from the fact that, like, oh, I was going to work and then have, and I was obviously not going to give up dancing. And, you know, the first thing I did when I moved to New York was look up where I was going to go dance. And yeah. I went to a class that week, you know, and I think it was important for me um, to keep it in my life. And I think one of the other things I realized is I have fought to keep dance in my life forever. And I had to do that fight for, in my own product for other people because it's so easy to not, you know, yeah. ever dances in other people's eyes, whether it's playing the guitar or being on, a, you know, an athlete in their sports team. I think a lot of people, once we graduate, we stop doing those things. That's the thing that gets sacrificed, right? When you get busy and there's a million other things going on, it's just like that feels like a selfless sacrifice. Yeah, it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah, and the um, moment. You know, I think once you graduate too, I remember this feeling of wow, like the next accomplishments in my life are like promotions at work, like getting married, having kids, which are all great things. But I was like, I wanted to find my life in a little bit of a different way. And I think it was important for me to sort of think about um, how I wanted to define like happiness in my life. And I didn't want to chase, and I've never been with someone to chase titles. Like to me, it meant more to have like my dance company perform at Lincoln Center than anything else, you know? And so it's it's one of those things where it's like do things with meaning. Yeah. Um, what I don't know, though, because I think about this a lot, and I imagine people in this room think about this a lot, I don't know how, when things are going pretty good and you're comfortable, it's not like you hated the, your jobs, it's not like you weren't getting the promotions, how do you get that switch to flip to make you do something entirely different or take a risk Yep. when you're 
content? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I could have stayed in what I was doing. I think there were a few things that had happened. Um, one is like I did start building my dance company when I when I did go to Warner. And I think uh, that gave me this confidence of the change I can make in the world. Mm. It's something I didn't recognize before. And I, I felt it on a deeper level because it was me writing that check down and it was me choreographing and it was then like seeing our work in, you know, in the New York Times. Like it was crazy to me to see like, wow, like I did this with my own like two hands. Like it was this feeling of, whoa, what I could accomplish. That was sort of like one of the first things that had happened. And then the other thing was actually not actually a really good thing. It was more that I started feeling like I was living two lives and I don't, you know, I think that to me is the biggest signal for people. Only one of them was honest. Yeah, one of them was honest. And in a way, they both almost felt inauthentic because none, like I wasn't excited about either one of them because then I didn't know, like I wasn't going to be like a professional dancer and I didn't know that that wasn't my full life. And then at the same time I was at work and I felt like people didn't know my potential, right? So I was kind of living two lives and uh, that was actually one of these hard things in my my life where I all of a sudden felt like I wasn't going to do anything well if I stayed where I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was like the switch moment for me. But f- So I went and talked to my mom about it. And my mom, after, you know, I just said, she's, it's not that my parents are conservative. They're, they just, you know, and they're, they wanted to make sure we were secure. She told me to quit. And, she did. Yeah, and that was like such a life-changing moment for me because she, I think she got it. She was just like, you're going to go make a change in the world and do it. So I think like in a way, and obviously there's a lot that also happened. I had to quit and all these other things. But I think if you don't know, you know, how to like work hard and other things, quitting your job is probably not the right answer. But when I quit, I didn't have a plan B. And I actually gave myself a month before I decided that this is what I was going to do. And what were you doing during that month? I mean, what were you thinking through? What thoughts crossed your mind? Yeah, um, I even remember it was it was January of 2011. I it traveled. Yeah. So I, you know, and as somebody who, it's really hard for me to unplug because I love like working and dancing and doing things. Um, I went to Argentina and I, you know, I took a trip and I was reading a lot during that time and spending time with like good people I know. The, mm-hmm. the moment that switched it for me was uh, meeting with one of my mentors, um, Anjula Acharya, where I told her I was about to, you know, potentially take a job at Spotify. And she looked at me and she goes, well, if you do that, you know you're like not building this company because no one's going to invest in you if you're not going to bet on yourself. And that's when I was like, what? And that night I uh, stayed up to like two in the morning. I started writing like a business plan on, on a Google Doc. And I never looked back after that day, but I needed that conversation yeah. to like make my heart feel like this is the choice I am making. And I, I think this is like an important conversation, especially because so many, there's so many entrepreneurs today. You have to make sure you're signing up for something unbelievably that you're passionate about that I, you know, I even say like that you're willing to go to the grave with, like it needs to be something that's beyond you, like timeless. Like it needs to be something that is so much grander and bigger because and, and deep for you and like a solution you really want to work through because, you know, when it gets hard, if you don't have that, you're never going to have the perseverance to fight through it. But making decisions is like the key to success and not making decisions is like the key to just coasting and living, you know, staying exactly where you are. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so if you're not happy with something, like not making a decision is like the, is absolutely the worst thing you could do. And I think I recognize that. Uh, very, very early on. But I think it becomes a muscle. And I think you start not worrying about the noise and what people are going to think and what's going to happen. And you just start realizing, if I am moving towards my mission, right, and what I really want to be doing, it's the right decision to make. More with Pyle after a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine you're on your daily commute. 
You're listening to Marketing, Sales, and Customer Success Best Practices, likely on a podcast, just like this one. Imagine getting to know these insanely smart guests personally, beyond their roles, beyond their companies, and leave each episode knowing that no matter what, you'll have one challenge to work on each and every day. That means walking into your office 1% smarter with new and exciting ideas daily. Doesn't sound half bad, right? Well, you're in for a treat. That's what Sangram Vajray's Daily Flip My Funnel podcast is all about. Join the movement and subscribe to the Flip My Funnel podcast on your favorite app now. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so you made this big decision. You started the company that wasn't ClassPass, that sort of was the predecessor. And like most early companies, you sort of hit um, your first growing pains around pricing. Yes. Um, when we first came out into the market, we had like a $99 product. We, we didn't have much data on behavior, right? We didn't know how, much, how many times people would go to class. And I think, you know, through the whole trajectory of this company, we've been trying to get people to go to class. Like we spent the first three years being like, will someone go to class? You know, and then we ended up on this other side where people started going to too many classes. But I, some of these times were actually very hard because my team would come up to me with like ideas on how we can like stunt usage, right? Because think about it, right? That's like what the business needed. But I'm like, yeah. this is terrible. Like, this is not what the business and what our mission is. Completely at odds with the success of your customer. Yeah. And, but the, yeah. and the mission, right? Exactly. So that was when um, we realized like we needed to make sure we made some changes. And it, I mean, it was painful. Like it was not something we wanted to do having to change prices. But we needed to to make sure we could earn the right to do everything else we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so over these two, three-year periods where we've been fixing things and changing things, we had to make a, like a lot of changes because it was impossible to actually predict human behavior. We were dealing with something which is based on fear, which is working out, like something people don't want to do. Yep. And so the only way we were actually going to get the real information, and we didn't know even when we tiered how people would upgrade, downgrade in the plans, and that would also affect what our business would look like. So there was a lot of tweaking with that that we had to do, and we had to do it in real time. And it was it was some you know it was hard for us to do, but at the same time, like because of this muscle, I've learned to iterate and not really question it. I knew it was the right thing for the company and the right thing for us to move forward. So we you know kept going through with it. Yeah, it's it's got to be really hard when the thing that uh, you're so passionate about and you're building for your customers when you start to get negative customer feedback on any aspect of it. Yeah. Do you remember, do you still remember any of the like specific feedback from those days? Does it stay with you or are you able to kind of move on from it? Look, I think it's amazing that customers have such an amazing voice today, right? With mm-hmm. social media, with Twitter, like all these different things. Email is like, I want to build a product that's great for my customers, right? That is like fundamentally it. And we've always, you know, I think every product, there's always things you can improve on and do better. And I think, you know, for me, um, in any of those moments, like I consider like, okay, these are things I can fix right now for my customers. And these are things I'm going to fix in the future. And I think you also have to like, look at it in, in aggregate and be like, what are the most important things that everyone's saying that really genuinely connects to the problem? And why are they saying it? And you don't understand the depth to it. And, you know, earliest days of class pass when people are always like, how did you know it worked? I mean, I got like five emails, okay? That's all I needed. I needed five emails that made me realize I had built something magical. Right. It wasn't like 10,000 users. Like we only had, you know, 150 customers at the time, but I needed five emails that were just, the messaging in them made me realize like I had built a product that had changed their life. When you look at your time at, at ClassPass, 
what are some of the other decisions that you've made that you feel like were hard but you're proud of? Um, one of my, you know, we had raised our uh, Series A in September of uh, 2014. And um, overnight, I felt like there was a copycat in every city. Okay, so it was like, and I actually had a pillar in the company where you don't focus on competition. Like I just, hmm. no one wins the race, like in a way looking behind them. It's tempting though. Yeah. Well, so what happened essentially is there wasn't a day I walked into the office where people weren't chatting about like some of our competitors or investors weren't emailing me. And then um, I remember looking at this one site and it was like a copy of our site. And every time we would update something, they would too. And I it's was horrifying. Like, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I need to fix this. So we then, um, this was, we called it Operation 2015. And so um, this was about October, and we were sort of on track to launch eight cities by the end of the year. So we were launching a city a month. This was like aggressive. Yeah, eight was fine. But then we were like, no, we're going to launch 20. (laughs) And so we said it was like 20 by January 1 of 2015. That was sort of like the the way it was named. And I just, I remember like, I didn't know, you know, because I, once again, it was like one of the, it was probably like the dancer in me. Like, yeah, I got to, you know, I was like, forget this, like work harder. Yeah. Work harder. And we're going to, we're going to get out there and we're going to make sure we win this. And it wasn't even just about winning. I mean, obviously like it was, it was more about protecting the mission. I didn't trust anyone else in doing this because by the way, all those people just saw a business model. Okay. And I get that. And I understand that. And I, but I have a mission and an impact I want to make on the world. Right. Those people didn't understand the why behind my company. And I didn't want to get into like a war or, you know, have that sort of uh, problem where I had other companies building the same exact thing I was building without the actual deep understanding of why I had built it. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was the most important thing I had to protect. And, you know, once again, I think, you know, people are like, how do you make a decision? It's like, no, protecting my mission is is never going to be something that's not going to win yeah. in, a, in any sort of, you know, yes, that's no the true north. That's the compass. Yeah. Another notable decision that you made that I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about is last year in 2017, you brought in a new CEO uh, for ClassPass. So I think, you know, the journey of being a founder heavily changes, you know, as you have more people in the company and your company mm-hmm. expands. And my day-to-day went from, you know, all this product stuff I'm talking about, my customers, and to a lot more of, you know, meetings, managing, all of that. And that's great. I mean, I love that stuff too. It's just, I just realized for me to add the most value to my company, I had to be in a different role. And I needed to delegate in a way to be able to free myself up to be that person. The only other thing with that though is it's really hard to find somebody. I mean, meaning... Yeah. It's you. I would never have been able to make this decision if I didn't have such a great partnership with Fritz. Fritz led my Series A, and he has been a partner to me in this company from like the beginning. We would talk about everything, and we have a good like yin and yang perspective on the company. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, I actually feel really grateful and lucky as a founder that I had someone like that because I don't always think you do. You can't really hire into that role. I don't yeah. think it's something that you can find someone to do that. I mean, in a way, like Fritz felt like a co-founder to me. So it was one of those easy things for me to do. Was the team worried about it? I mean, they had followed you as, as sort of the founder and CEO for a while and um, saw your vision. Did they have concerns? I mean, I think uh, the smart thing like we did, and because uh, I knew, like I knew, I like, lo- you know, Fritz and I have been such a good, have such a great partnership. I brought Fritz in, like I started making sure like the team started feeling his, mm-hmm. you know, his leadership as well, his passion for the company, getting very accustomed to that, figuring out like the way me and him work as well. I do think um, it was important though for us to also be able to be very clear to the company 
on like, you know, decisions here and there because you'd never want that to be confusing. Um, And so I think we just had to work through it. But I think the team just knew he cared so much. He wouldn't have put so much money in the company if he didn't believe in it. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself during that process? You know, as much as it feels like it's different, it's not really. Like I've always just been one of those people who I don't, I don't chase titles. I do what I know I need to do for my company. Like I've lived always my life that way. I don't fit in a box. Like if anything, when I feel like I'm trying to get boxed in, which by the way, like a title like that does box you in, I, I have to break free of it. And I mean, I feel like that is the story of my life. As you know, it was, it was funny. I worried. The only thing I did worry about was I didn't want women to think they couldn't be CEOs. Like that was actually a really important thing to me. But I realized the best thing I could do is the best leader in the world being me. And that is actually the message I want to send. Um, all right, so my final class for you, my final class, my final <laughs> ask for you. I'm already in the mindset of, of taking Let's classes. Go. <laughs> yeah. uh, what should I take? I mean, I don't know what, I would try, I would like, I would surprise yourself. Like I think that's what's so cool about class passes. You'll find that little gem of like a yoga studio and be like, oh my God, I love that teacher and that's like what the whole platform is built on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pyle. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Pyle, for having me. <laughs> this week's episode was produced by Matthew Brown. And we'd like to thank Laura Moran and the rest of Inbound for inviting us into their podcast lounge to record this episode. Really aces work on that whole setup there, guys. Let's do it again next year, huh? If you're a fan of the show, or honestly, even if you're not that big of a fan, I always love hearing from you. You can find me over on our Facebook and Twitter at The Gross Show, or on our website at thegrossshow.com. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and thanks for listening.